even if you're exposed to players who are better than you, it's much easier to get better yourself. This is The Upper Hand, a podcast series by IMC. I'm Tim Polashek, and in this podcast, I invite masters of different games to see what steps you need to take to master them. From sports betting to Magic the Gathering, and from chess to diplomacy, you'll find out how you can use theory and practice to become the best. Welcome to the 2004 Magic the Gathering World Championship Magic the Gathering is a trading card game where you play cards to attack and defend to try to bring the other's player's life count to zero. That's when you win the game. Magic has approximately 35 million players worldwide, and there are also a lot of people that collect the different cards with all kinds of magical creatures. Eternal Witness, and a Viridian Shaman, and another Viridian Shaman. And that's Julian Mountain, ladies and gentlemen. Julian Mountain from the Netherlands is your new world champion. One of the world champions is Julian Mountain. He became champion when he was only 15 years old. He's one of the best magic players of the Netherlands. After the championship, Nauten has rarely talked about his winning strategy. So for the first time ever, Julian will lay all his cards on the table to teach us how to become the next magic champion. Hi Julian, it's great to have you here. Thanks for making the time to delve into the world of Magic the Gathering. Yeah, no worries. Magic the Gathering is the first ever trading card game? Uh, as far as I know, yes. When did you start playing it yourself? For me, probably probably over 20 years ago now. Yeah, probably when I was uh, just starting high school, so 11, 12 years old, something like that. 11, 12. Wow, okay, that's pretty early. Yeah. Good fun, though. And if you would describe magic in a few sentences, how would you do that? Um, well, I would say it's definitely a multifaceted game. Uh, there are different elements that appeal to different people. For me personally, it is a strategic card game with a lot of different uh, uh, cards that have different functionality. So there's thousands and thousands of different cards, and they're all uh, differently interlocking chess pieces. Every two, three months or so, uh, the creator of the game releases a whole bunch of new cards. Right, okay, so it continually evolves. Yes, part of the appeal when you're constantly adding new pieces is that uh, you have to reevaluate existing strategies all the time and see if they still work or maybe add a few new cards to it and see how they line up against each other then. So there's a lot of trial and error involved when there's new cards coming out all the time. Right, okay. And what does that trial and error look like? Do you analyze it yourself? I would say for for me, mostly just trying things out, see if they work. Um, on the internet, there's also a lot of information available, different people trying different things. And you know, if you see something that might appeal to you, if you see a strategy that you might like, just try it out. Yeah, so keeping up to date, watching, learning from people who are leading in the field as well. Yeah. So you won something quite big, didn't you? Yes, it's a long time ago by now, but uh, you're talking about the 2004 uh, World Championship. Yeah, the World Championship. Yeah. And that was when you were how old? I, I was 15 at the time. So you started about 11, 12, and you won it when you were 15? Yeah. How did you how did you get so good so quickly? Well, first of all, I have to say, obviously, a bit of luck was involved as well. Because even if you're the best player in the world, you still need a decent amount of luck to win any single tournament. But back then, 
there were a lot of strong uh, magic players playing out out of the Netherlands. And so were you playing were you playing with them at that time? Yeah, I was uh, playing a lot with them. I got to know uh, a few of them through a couple of friends and uh, just with any game, if you're exposed to, to players who are better than you, it's much easier to get better yourself. It's very different from how we go nowadays. If you want to get better now, then probably the best way to go is just to, to start playing a lot on the internet and watching all of this content. Uh, but back then there wasn't any of that, but I was exposed to uh, a good group of players. Yes, it had a community, and yeah. you were putting time into it. Yeah, I was putting in time in it because I was 15 at the time, and I, you know, I was in school and didn't have very much else going on <laughs> in terms of responsibilities. <laughs> when, at what point did you notice, while you were playing with others, while you were playing with with um, your Dutch um, colleagues here, that you were getting really good at the game, and that you could actually, instead of being just really good, you could actually become the best. Other players that were older than I was and that I sort of looked up to because I, I've seen them play and I knew they were, they were good players. They were uh, like they were pulling on me to to join them and and play with them. Uh, it allowed me to continue uh, to uh, to play the game on a higher level because I I wanted to. Well, still I always want to play against the best players. That's the most interesting part of the game for me. As I played more and more of them, I started to win more and more against them when I, I figured out that there was sort of a progression in, in your skill level then that really stuck with me yeah wow that's that's really cool to hear and so when you're actually sitting there playing what what's actually what are the parts of the game you've got yeah. two players against each other yeah. with their own decks of cards yes well that's one way to play the game um, and it's a very popular way to play the game like you you make a selection of cards uh, that you have in your possession and then you you play these strategies against each other. Like the selection of cards defines your strategy, right? And then, um, well, some selections of cards tend to be more aggressive in their strategy. And some tend to be more uh, passive and reactive. Uh, and there's, there's loads of ways that those can interact. Um, so that's one part to play the game where you bring your own selection of cards. And then there's another way to play the game, which is you don't bring your own cards, but you go to a tournament or you... you you go play with your friends and you open up new packs of magic cards. And then everybody has to open new packs. Yeah, everybody opens new packs. And then you make the selection as you go from the cards that are in that pack. Uh, so then you sort of have to be a bit more in the moment with deciding your strategy. What do you think are some of the skills that you need to get better at magic gathering? You have to be, first of all, you have to really enjoy the game to start with. Uh, because otherwise there's no way that you're going to spend that much time trying to get better. Um, you need to be good at deductive reasoning. Uh, you need to be uh, good at practicing patience. Then there's the element of uh, uh, selecting your strategy, selecting your cards, um, which requires a bit more uh, uh, foresight mm -hmm. um, because you obviously have to do that preemptively uh, before you start a game. For example, suppose you're going to play a tournament and there's you know 200 players expected to be there uh, and there was a similar tournament you know a month ago you can look you can look at the tournament from a month ago and say like all right this is well this is what we had back then so uh, uh, given this information what am I going to expect in terms of st opponent strategies in this tournament and then you adjust your strategy based upon that okay brilliant so that's uh, understanding the strategy 
having uh, the foresight as well um, of being able to work out different combinations and patience. And in that patience element, is there a is there a mental challenge in this as well? There must be some way of staying calm or staying focused. How, how did you deal with it mentally? Let's say during a during a tournament game. I would say in a in a tournament setting, the the mentally the most challenging aspect is just you're playing very long days with very complicated games, very complicated situations. You just have to stay sharp for you know ten twelve hours. I would say m- m- most of the the mental challenge is just the endurance that you need to play these things. So if you keep on the ball, if you keep focused, you will be able to improve your game consistently. Yeah, and it's hard if you're uh, if you if you're you know you've already played for twelve hours, and then usually the last match of the day is also the most important because you know it'll decide whether you advance to the next day or not, things like that. Uh, and that's when you really need to be sharp. Wow, yeah, it sounds really intense. And is it important to know all the cards? Yeah, when you're playing at that level, yes, it's definitely important uh, because it it allows you to to predict more accurately what to expect. And sometimes in a game itself, being able to uh, deduce what specific cards your opponent can have is very, very important. Right, how would you go about doing that? Well, if you're playing a tournament like that, then usually you're only playing with like a subset of about, say, three, four hundred cards. And it sounds like a lot, but when you're playing... Uh, when you're playing at that level and you, you you know you're playing for weeks before this tournament, then you know all these cards. Um, and then, depending on the situation in the game, you can tell like, all right, my opponent has uh, this many resources up, and he's done this and this and that the turns before, so it means there's a good chance he will have this card. Right. And okay. It allows you to adjust your strategy. Would you give any other? Practical advice to people getting going with magic or really wanting to pick up their game uh, over the next few weeks and bits of advice that they could get going with. Well, first of all, I would say just, just play a bunch on the internet. Um, I think there's there's also bots that you can play against uh, uh, when you're first starting out. Uh, and I'm sure there's, there's a whole bunch of uh, uh, videos on the internet that you can find that uh, help you improve to a level where you can like see different strategies and, and, and see how they interact and see what is uh, relevant and what is not relevant to uh, improving your chances of winning. Okay, brilliant. Well, Julian, thank you so much for explaining uh, the game in more detail and giving people some, some tips and advice. Yeah. Should we get stuck into a game? Yeah, we can uh, give it a go. Julian is going to teach me how to play magic, but first let's dive into some theory. Theory can help you better understand a game and to get to victory. In this episode, we're taking a closer look at bluffing. Bluffing is used a lot in games like poker, but magic also has its fair share. Bluffing can be used in poker and magic because it's a game of imperfect information. This means that not all the information is available to all players. Players aren't able to see each other's cards and are therefore able to use bluffing to influence the actions of other players. Bluffing can give you an advantage. Your opponent will have difficulty assessing your true intentions and you can try to nudge them towards certain actions. That won't always work, but at least you force your opponent to take longer to consider your actions and the more your opponent has to think, the more likely they are to make mistakes. For example, Whenever you want to provoke your opponent to play his best card because you have the chance to easily counter that card, it's smart not to appear too eager. If your opponent sees that you're confident in the cards that you're playing, he might sense that you've got good cards in your hand. 
he'll hold back on playing his best cards. Whereas if you appear nervous or doubtful when playing cards, your opponent might take a chance and play his best ones. However, bluffing is not without risk. When someone calls your bluff, they have the opportunity to strike back. You therefore have to work on your poker face and learn the subtle ways to nudge someone to do something. Let's move on to my game with Julian. As Julian mentioned earlier, in tournaments, packs of cards are often opened at the table and cards are selected from the pack. Julian also brought a pack for me to open and tells me about the drafting process that follows. Wow, so you've got a pack for me here. Yeah, so this is a closed pack of magic cards Yeah. that you're about to open. Wow. This is super cool. Some fresh cards in here. Yeah, so this is a relatively new uh, expansion of, of the game. Yeah. And so, for example, if you're going to a tournament where you're uh, uh, not bringing your own cards, you get to crack a few of these packs, and then you get to look at them, and you get to pick the card you are most interested in. And then you're sitting with six to eight people at a table. And you'll pass it on to your neighbor, the remaining cards, and your neighbor will give you uh, uh, the remainder of his pack, and you get to choose from, ah, from that. Okay. So that's how the draft selection goes. Everybody's trying to fend for themselves, like uh, trying to uh, pick the, the cards that match their strategy best. But then you also have to consider that if there's eight people at a table, you don't want to uh, have the same strategy as two or three other players at the table because then you're going to be interested in the same type of cards. Yeah. So you want to like look at the cards and like sort of discover uh, um, what is being underdrafted, as they call it, at the table. So you'll be able to pick out the better ones from the other packs yeah. for your strategy. Yeah, so it's always a balancing act. Like You might want to choose the uh, uh, the strategy that's not as popular, um, but you get rewarded for it because um, you'll get a better selection of cards. Drafting the right cards is very important. There are five different colors that are associated with different strategies. Some are more offensive, some are more defensive. Every color has two types of cards, lands and spells. Lands are resources that you use to be able to play the spells. Spells are the cards that you're going to use to attack and defend, and you need the right amount of lands to play them. Julian hands me the cards that I'm going to be playing with, blue and white. Julian plays with black and red, and we both start with 20 lives. Julie and I start playing. In our first two turns, we play lands, and in my third turn, I decide to play my first spell, the Warden of Evil's Eye. The Warden of Evil's Eye has two attack and two defense. This means that when I attack Julian, it takes his life total from 20 to 18. It's also a flying creature. In his next turn, Julian decides to play Audacious Thief. It is a 2-2 creature, and it's a regular creature, which means it can't interact with my flying creature. But it has a special power. Whenever you attack with Audacious Thief, you lose one life, but you can take one extra card. This gives you additional resources and an advantage. I decide to play another spell, the Air Elemental, a 4 defense, 4 attack card. You have to wait one turn to use a spell, and so I'm now able to use my Warden of Evil's Eye. I can either use it to attack or to block Julian's attack. 
I wonder, should I attack Julian's audacious thief? The answer is, you kind of do, because whenever this guy attacks, I draw another card. So I attack you? Yeah. And I... Yeah, so I, I don't get to block it because he's flying. And uh, I started the game with a 20, takes two out of my life. Okay. So I'm at 18. Julian attacks me with the audacious thief and he can take a card. I now have to decide if I'm going to block his attack with my air elemental or if I let it go and let it take two out of my life total. But there is a consideration for you because, well, this guy is really putting a clock on my strategy because he's, he's big. And um, if I uh, find, if I have a card that along with the audacious thief allows me to kill the air elemental once you've blocked it. So what do you think? I'm going to, I'm going to block it. You're going to block it? Yeah. All right. I will play a card. This card says instant. Yeah. So uh, that means I can play it at any instant, right? Uh, as long as I have the resources. So it costs one red. Play it. I paid one red here. And it says target creature gets plus three, plus two until end of turn. Oh, wow. So that makes my guy a 5-4 until, until the end of the turn. So then, now my guy is a 5-4 and your guy is a 4-4. Four, four. They're going to fight and he deals five to him and he only has four toughness, so your guy dies. Julian used the instant card to make his spell stronger. These two cards interact with each other. This happens a lot in magic, and you can use the combinations to become better. In my uh, selection, in my deck, for example, an interaction that uh, uh, two cards have with each other in my strategy is this one. It says Act of Treason. It says Gain Control of Target Creature until end of turn, and it gains Haste until end of turn. Okay. So what haste means is that I can use it straight away uh, rather than having to wait a turn, right? Yeah. So suppose you have, well, let's get back to your air, air elemental. Suppose you have the air elemental. It's a big, scary creature for me. I'll say, all right, act of treason. I will take your air elemental for the turn. I will gain control of it, put it on my side of the board. So then I get to attack with it. So I get to probably deal four damage to you. And normally this card says until end of turn. So at the end of the turn, you would get it back, right? Suppose I have this card, Bone Splinters. It's a spell, costs one black, and it says, as an additional car cost to the spell, so in addition to the one black mana that you need, sacrifice a creature. So you need to have a creature in play that you can sacrifice. Well, it would be very nice to sacrifice your creature, since then you don't get to have back. It would go to your discard pile, since it does belong to you in the end, and then it says destroy target creature, so I can also destroy another one of your creatures. Wow, okay. So that's a powerful interaction to, uh, to relatively cheaply deal with potentially two big threats on your side. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think I'd be quite annoyed if you did that. <laughs> <laughs> this interaction shows how important it is to play often and to get to know the different cards. Julian advises players to keep playing both online and offline and to learn from players who are better than you. Train your patience and endurance and keep on learning about the best strategies for all the cards available. Then you can become the next master in magic. In the next episode of The Upper Hand, we're interviewing David Hood. David is a diplomacy champion and hosts a news show about the world of diplomacy. With his advice, you'll be able to master diplomacy too.